better than you you told me it's nine degrees by your house today and that is unconscionable it's awful it's real someone is clearly not making their sacrifices to the weather gods and we need to get on that i mean like i realize it's still january but that's unacceptable it needs to stop being cold after june 26th or not june well you know what hey i stand by that it shouldn't be cold all year I don't know why I said June. December? I meant December, but both work. It December 26th is my birthday. Oh, that's really? A great, that's a great day to be warm. Yeah. Yeah, I, uh, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a June baby, so I don't do with cold. I don't do with cold. I, I lived in Sacramento for a long time, and Sacramento gets quite cold for being in California, especially if you head up into the Sierras. Um, and I, I'm, I've got fragile bird bones, and they don't retain heat well they're not dense enough my marrow can't do it <laughs> and i just get so dang cold so fast and i my fingers turn blue <laughs> oh mine I, do too actually it's oh, awful it's so bad i can't like i can't function how can i type with how can i do my wording without without my fingers and that's you know but i also can't put on gloves because then that doesn't work either, but you know. Well, you can't type with gloves. That's just wrong. I it's you can't. Yeah, I can't. Especially like the flat keys. I can't do that. You need to be able to have all that wonderful central tactile feedback of the keyboard. <laughs> <laughs> especially when it, if you got like a rubbery keyboard cover, it's really. Central. You remind me of my typing teacher from tenth grade. Oh, I had, I also had a typing teacher in the 10th grade and he was this absolute maniac. He was a retired um, Marine and he wore nothing but Hawaiian shirts. He had a crew cut and every day he was one of those teachers who would make you like walk in the door, but you, you had to walk in while shaking his hand. Like he wouldn't let you through the door unless you shook his hand. Um, and uh, he would... <laughs> He would do the thing where he'd ask you how your day is, and then you'd have to respond. And then he'd ask you his catchphrase every single student every day was, did you make your mama proud today? Um, And then he would let you in, and he would stand at the back of the classroom, military straight, and watch us like a hawk to make sure that we were doing the right technique. Um, And legendarily, as as a brief aside, one time I was sitting next to my friend, uh, Keith and Keith was a fourteen-year-old boy, which is to say, a degenerate. Mm-hmm. And he was joking around with this other boy sitting next to him, and he was like, he said, he essentially he said a yo mama joke, which is the pinnacle of comedy, as I'm sure you know, obviously. Well, yeah. Uh, and he, uh, he, he, so he said a yo mama joke, and without missing a beat. The other guy turned to him and said, well, my mom's dead. (laughs) (laughs) And from the back of the classroom, uh, uh, my my instructor just goes, hey, Keith, did you just make your mama proud? (laughs) And I've never seen someone sink into the earth and be consumed by the minerals that make up the floor underneath our feet so quickly as I saw this poor boy be consumed by his own shame. Typing class killed him. It did him in. It killed him. It's worth noting that this instructor also sold like donuts and soda and uh, popcorn from his classroom. So, you know, a man of many layers. It's a side hustle. You don't get paid well as a teacher. No, you don't. He he made a killing. It was really, really good. Anyway, this has nothing to do with anything, but yeah. Sure it does. Crushing shame, the agony of defeat. I mean, that's romance, isn't it? (laughs) That is romance. You know, it's funny. My typing teacher, I can't remember her name. It was Mm -hmm. a long time ago. Um, I I was just so horrified and appalled that I had to take typing in the Mm -hmm. first place. Because, I mean, come on. I was never going to, like, sit at a desk and type all day. I was way too good for that. I know. Weird. Um, So she didn't come in to class for, like six weeks so we had six weeks of substitutes Mm -hmm. which was fantastic that was like the best six weeks of high school so then she comes back it turns out her husband had passed away which is tragic however 
our formerly frugal, like mid fifties, mid sixties age typing teacher who was always wearing like your typical like older lady outfit. Mm-hmm. Now she's coming in these stylish new clothes, new shoes, leather boots, Ooh. jewelry like you wouldn't believe. She Widow was got dripping. a glow up. Oh. Dude, she was dripping in gold afterwards. And it was like the first day she was back, she was all sad and sniffly and telling us how her husband had passed away, which is awful. Yeah. And then it was day two and it was off to the races, baby. She was. (laughs) She shucked the morning clothes and came out sparkling. She was sparkling, let me tell you. And she never cared if we typed another stroke after that. Because before he died, she was like, rawr. Type faster, type better, don't look at those keys. And then afterwards, it was like, whatever. Have you seen my new bracelet? God. It was amazing. What a creature. I mean, I can you, I mean, I'm just, I love that about her. I mean, terribly tragic. So, so sorry her husband died. Definitely, definitely. I don't know. Was it tragic? But was it though? (laughs) Hey, but was it, fam? Because your girl came out swinging. And I love that for all of you. You know, she, it was like a complete 180 with her. It was, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe she murdered him. I wonder these things A little bit. You know, I've wondered that about my various family members in my genealogy many times. So I think it's fair to ask that about virtually everybody. There's someone I went to college with Mm -hmm. who, as of this point in time, January 16th, is on her fourth husband. The first three died. she's only like i think she either just turned 40 or she turned 40 last year Uh and i'm like so you've been widowed three times already by the time you're 40 and if i was husband number four i would be terrified man dating must be tough i mean she's related to half the cemetery it's like (laughs) You want to meet the fam? Let's come out here to State State Stanislaus and have a great burn. God, you, not not she slept with the baseball team. It's it's she's related to half the cemetery. She is. It's just all I can think is like, how are all these people dying? I mean, do the police I, know? Is anyone looking into this? Some, I mean, at some point, right? Number three, that's got to be like, okay, you had the two. Everyone gets two dead husbands, but three, that's pushing it. Yeah, I mean, it's well, crazy. I, I hope she's living her best life, whatever that means. She's got this giant ranch now and all these horses because, well, you know, three then. life insurance settlements, you can buy a nice place. Well, and uh, apparently a lot of horses. But, you know, husband number four, he's who we've got to look out for. You know. <laughs> he's in danger. <laughs> I mean, it just reminds me of what uh, one of my favorite worst movies ever made is um, I Think I Married an Axe Murderer. <gasps> I love that movie. Yeah, it's ter- It's a terrible rewatch. It does not hold up at all. It's just Mike Myers riffing uh, every single scene. Like, they barely had a script. But I still love it. Um, and, oh, the soundtrack is atrocious it's the same song over and over and oh over the, the, the movie is the movie was awful when it came out yeah it, it was like the sort of awful that you gravitated oh, to because God, it was I just so it. fantastically bad it's also set in san francisco which is my hometown so like it, it is a special kind of torture to watch it and go that's not that's not anything that's that, that was one of that was one of my favorite vacations ever going to san francisco oh yeah oh so We were in L.A. at the time, me and my ex-boyfriend. And he said, hey, you want to go you want to go up to Frisco? And as you and I know, people who actually live in San Francisco would never say that. No, we don't. You're going to hear many reasons why Greg is the ex in this story. (laughs) Well, also his name is Greg. So there's that. With two G's at the end. Two G's. Two G's. Might as well just call them egg, huh? Ugh, idiot. Anyway, so he's looking at the map. Yeah. We're in L.A. We're actually, we're, we're on Santa Monica Boulevard. That's where uh-huh. the apartment was. So we're looking at the map, and he wants to go to San Francisco. He had a car, so at least that was worked out. Mm-hmm. And he said, so it should take about four or five hours to drive up from L.A. We'll take the Pacific Coast Highway. Uh-huh. And I'm looking at the map. That's an interesting. I'm like, really? <laughs> he's like, oh, Yeah. All right, dude. So we leave at like one. 
drive north. Uh-huh. And keep driving. Five o'clock rolls around. I'm looking around. I don't see Alcatraz. You're in like I don't see the Golden Gate Bridge. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So we rolled into Oakland because we were going the wrong way. Um, We rolled into Oak. We spent a lot of time driving around Oakland and Sausalito, like complete, total morons. Um, But that was at like three in the morning. So there was no one to ask for directions. Yeah. Because it took like 14 hours driving up. Oh, that sucks. I mean, that's an that's an eight hour drive on a good day. Uh, I I once so for I went to a very strange high school, but my high school one year made it to my senior year made it to the like state football playoffs. It was like a huge deal. So the school rented a bunch of buses and we're like any student who wants to go and cheer on the team get on that bus and you can go. And but we weren't staying in LA. So what it turned out to be was we left at like 3 a.m. Um, on these Greyhound buses essentially. Hoofed it down to LA as fast as possible, watched the football game, and then climbed back on the buses and immediately headed back home and we were home by 3 a.m. the next morning. Oh my gosh. It was rough. Um, but that drive, that drive is, that, ew, no, 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 no. That is not a, that is not an there is easy. No, I don't care. Can you fly from LA to San Francisco in four hours? I don't even know. I mean, I mean it's like, it's like an hour and a half. It's I guess, but, but still, yeah, but we weren't flying. We were taking an old pathetic, he had a 56 Bel Air. The sexiest Which car. was the best part about him, actually. <laughs> that was the number one best part about him. Um, yeah. Oh, and his apartment had um, it been damaged in one of the earthquakes in the early 90s. So yeah. he had earthquake relief. So his apartment was like 200 bucks a month. Oh, well, you know, that is that's something that is a reason <laughs> to date a Greg. I don't know. I can't think of actually a good reason to date a Greg. Um, sorry, Greg's out there if you're listening, but um, not not that I, sorry. And, and he was in film school. I mean, it was so. Oh high. God! Yeah. As someone who lives with two filmmakers, <laughs> let me just say, don't date a filmmaker. He he had this old Betamax video camera mm-hmm. that he got at like a yard sale or something. Obviously, because those haven't been made since what the dawn of time. Mm-hmm. And he was going around and like just taking like. I don't know, like scenery shots mm-hmm. everywhere we went. And he was using the Zoom. I'm like, you can't make a movie with this. Or you can, but it's going to be a shitty one. Well, um, yeah. And that's, but you know what? That's most movies though, isn't it? <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, speaking of things that are not shitty though, um, I want to talk about your books because, and yes. the reason I, first of all, I want to talk to you because you're chill as hell. But beyond that, <laughs> I was like, I... I haven't yet had somebody on the show who writes almost exactly the thing that I write, which is going to be very interesting, which is the urban fantasy mashed with a little bit of like near future modern world nonsense. Um, And I was like, cause I I was reading your books and I was like, I was like, these, I I really like, Hey, I really like these premises. This is really fun. This is really good. I wow, this is like right up my alley. And then I was like, Abigail, you fucking idiot. This is what you write. Like, no wonder. Just absolutely no, no brain head empty. Uh, but I, I definitely, I wanted to talk to you because while we write broadly like the same kind of concepts, um, you do some really cool, like, deep mythology stuff. Like, you do some really deep dives into kind of more obscure uh, mythology that I don't do. I'm like, no, elves. Yeah, that's, that's fine. Don't worry about it. Uh, but you're, like, you're you're going into, like, uh, like what is it? Um, I'm blanking. Like, the stuff from the UK. There we go. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, yeah. So, what's really... So, me and mythology. So, what's funny is... I say in my author bio that I had read all the books in the library. Yeah. And it's true. Well, I did read all of the children's books. I think there were like 50. Mm -hmm. Um, So then the poor librarians had no idea what to do with me. Mm -hmm. And I was like 11. Yeah. Um, So they let me have free range until they caught me bringing out all these like Stephen King and Erica Jong books. And they were like, whoa, that's a no for us. Yeah. So they pointed me in the mythology section. Mm Mm-hmm. And that's what I read for like the next five years, every single book on mythology that they had in the Springfield Public Library, which Mm -hmm. was a lot. Um, But for Gallo Glass, I started that 
way, way, way a long time, like 10 years ago, I was going to write an article for a magazine. Remember when we used to write magazine articles? Remember when people bought magazines like in paper? Yeah. I know it was a long time ago. I, I briefly, um, <laughs> hindbrain memories, deep ancestral knowledge of a magazine. I remember a million years ago as another aside, because that's what I do. I have asides. Mm-hmm. I am a side quest. Um, a million years ago, I used to work in um, a Barnes and Noble. I actually worked there twice because I'm a glutton for punishment. Mm-hmm. And I remember we would get the magazines in and there were these giants the books worst jobs. And the worst jobs. So many paper cuts. And yeah. I wasn't even a bookseller. I was a barista. So I was complaining the entire time. I'm like, why am I shelving these? Why am I doing this? Because I am so ungrateful. Yeah. Um, so anyway, a million years ago, I was going to write an article for my friend's magazine on fairy ointment, mm. which is mentioned in um A Midsummer Night's Dream by Shakespeare. Yeah. Um, and I started researching fairy ointment and I came across this book called The Secret Commonwealth of Elves, Spawns, and Fairies that was written by Robert Kirk. Yes, I have that. Yeah. So he was a real guy. Yeah. <laughs> he was a real man in late 17th century Scotland uh-huh. who was convinced that there were all these fairies living in the hill behind his house. And he died one day on that hill. And you can go there today, climb its Dune Hill in Aberfoyle, Scotland, and you can climb up there and there is the tree that he has supposedly been trapped in this whole time. It's so good. That book is reading it, it, it is absolutely unhinged. Like the I think the <laughs> first unhinged. chapter is about like like what is it? Um like funeral visitations and people like coming back from the dead. Like just it's just really casual about like, yeah, so I have a friend who went to a funeral and then of course the specter showed up of the of the person who died and like walked back into the body in front of everybody and then the body stood up stood up out of the casket and like and it's like, whoa, ho, whoa, hold on. What I it was this just is the regular. first chapter. <laughs> It was just, and that was his life. It was at that time in Scotland, like you had the supernatural and you had the natural and we were all hanging out together. Yeah. Ghosts, fairies, humans, all of us, one party all the time. Yeah. Yeah. And I, it's, it's very interesting how that kind of carried through to, um, the 19th century and, and to the 20th century as well with the spiritualist movement. Um, I, I have a series of books that are going to come out at some point soon, relatively speaking, um, it, that are based on the spiritualist movement and, and if it never ended. And one of the things I did for research for that was I read Arthur Conan Doyle's volumes on oh, he was the spiritual. The, he was off the hook. That man 100% committed to the supernatural, which is such an interesting mm-hmm. take, considering this is the man who wrote Sherlock Holmes, who was all about just like basically busting these like myths of like how people could use these superstitions to commit crimes and how it's easy to figure out if you're a genius like Sherlock Holmes, right? Um, So it is so interesting to me that Arthur Conan Doyle was just like, no, but actually there are ghosts and you can talk to them. And if you don't believe in that, you're wrong because it's science. Um, and, mm-hmm. and so it's like, it's, it's a very interesting thread there to go from, you know, somebody who's like, and of course you go to a funeral and the ghost may just show up and maybe they'll walk back into the body and the body will come out of the casket and everyone will have a party. That's just- happen that's just everyday business to arthur conan doyle you know like 200 years later basically saying the same thing um just bananas i love it it. he created his own reality and he went with it it was his he owned it yeah and um those girls that cut the pictures of fairies out of magazines and took pictures with themselves Uh and he was like oh this is definitely real absolutely that is definitely a real fairy there there's there's no, no hoax here. No fooling, y'all. Nope. De- well, hey, to his defense, they were real photos. <laughs> yeah, they were. The, I mean, the photos did exist. Now the subjects, maybe, maybe not. But photos is real. You know, whenever people like say say things like, oh, there's no way you could fool the public into this or that or the other thing. And I'm like, you know, two kids with scissors and a magazine kept this hoax going until like the younger one was on her deathbed and then she confessed. You know, it's really I I, people who, who say like, oh, today we can never be fooled by that stuff. Absolute bullshit. First of all, of course it is. But secondly, I as an example. 
I went to, I was, in, I've been an illustrator for a long time. I went to art school and I had a, an art class that was all about digital painting. And for some background, just to kind of lay the groundwork here, this class involved painting three 3D cubes to be different textures, 100% accurately, very, very, very realistic, um, digitally in Photoshop. Every week we had to do six cubes of six different textures. So one day it was like slime, the next day it was like fire. And we were supposed to spend upwards of 30 hours a week on these freaking cubes. So that should show you the kind of dedication to digital painting and realism um, that this class entailed. Okay. So the instructor for this particular class, this legendarily difficult class, uh, he was a gentleman who was, shall we say, extremely problematic, but for many reasons. But he also was like one of those like super charismatic teachers who thought he was like really cool and like talk to the whole class and like joke around and occasionally do push-ups in the middle of class, you know, stuff like that, normal things. Um, and yeah, was um, his name Greg with two G's? It I think was I know not. This guy. It was not. But let's just say he was transferred between departments a couple of times. Um, but one day he he starts talking about some stuff that he believes. And I'm like, and I'm I'm obviously who I am. So I engage with this man frequently. I'm I'm a talker. So like I'm going to he's a, he's crazy, but I'm going to yeah, I'm going to hang out. I'm going to talk to him. I want to get a freaking A in this class. Are you kidding me? Mm-hmm. Um and there's another kid who also talks to him a lot. But this kid is like <sighs> doesn't know when to just like not engage he will just fight about it so something about at the time this is pre-pandemic obviously many many years in the past and vaccines came up and he was like a light anti-vaxxer where he was just like Mm -hmm. i don't know um and this other kid in the class was like well what do you mean and then he turned to me was like abigail why why aren't you why aren't you arguing with him and i was like because i know this isn't an argument i'm not gonna win anyway but one day he starts talking about what he believes and he starts talking about the nephilim and about how giants once roamed the earth and how we have evidence of it and how archaeologists are hiding it actively all across the world. They're in cahoots and they are hiding the evidence of these skeletons, uh, these giant, giant skeletons. And they have at one point the story involved pushing all of the skeletons they had found off a barge into the ocean. Okay, and to show proof of this, my teacher of this hardcore realistic digital painting class pulls up Google image search of archaeologists excavating giant skeletons. And I look at it and I go, buddy, these have been painted. You're a digital (laughs) painting instructor. These are digitally painted. Like I could, I was like, are you, I thought he was fucking with me. I was like, are you joking? He's like, well, no, look, you can see. And I'm like, I can see the brushstrokes. I can see the brushstrokes. twist. Oh. You can't make this shit up. No. So that goes to say, hey, listen, y'all, no shame in the broader sense. Shame specifically to him, but no shame in the broader sense because we all have a grift that we are susceptible to that we don't realize. So like, Keep your head on a swivel, be cool, be alert, and Mm -hmm. check yourself. Because there is something that you believe that is objectively ridiculous that you just are blind to. How many TV shows are there out about Bigfoot? Uh Uh-huh. Dude. I would love for for me to have some big feats in our lives. Listen, I would love for this. But I just don't, y'all. I'm just, we've we've been in those woods like a long time. I just don't think, do I want in my heart for there to be a big feat? Yes, I do. <laughs> but I don't think so. I think it's far more likely that a skunk ape is real because, you know, Florida, th- those are just like the residents. Oh, yeah, and also we can't go that deep into Florida, like because no. all the all the what the swamps and what all. So like I wouldn't there's stuff in Florida we don't know about. I'll give you Florida. But also, I'll give you like that some Florida man walked into a swamp and turned into a skunk ape, I think is much more likely. <laughs> but like, I I definitely like, I, and I think this brings us back to the topic because it's, I want these things to exist. Hell yeah, do I want giants to exist? And hell yeah, do I want big feet to exist? But like, they, you know, our world just ain't, we got bigger problems, <laughs> things to focus on than that. 
y'all, or like the the curse of Oak Island. I'm begging you, stop. It's just a flooded. It's atoll. a hole. Yeah, it's a hole. That that's all. It, it, you know what? If they buried it and they hid it that well, you know, props to them. They won. Let's move on. A it's, feat it's, of engineering, if so. It's like when people talk about Roanoke Island, like we have no idea what happened to the residents of Roanoke Island. No, we do because they carved the name of the tribe they were going to in a tree and you dumb people just can't make the leap. And we've DNA tested and know that they interbred and like, yeah, that's I'm it's not a they had no food. They went to the place where there was food. Really? I mean, it's that's like literally my life. Like no food here. I go there. Yep, pretty I've much. I've run out of snacks in the living room. I must go to the kitchen. It's like... <laughs> I will carve kitchen into into the doorway. I should. You should. Just in that case you go missing everybody. along the way. <laughs> Anything could happen. It's true. You got pets and kids. Anything could happen. Mm-hmm. Or a tricksy, tricksy spouse. Um, so I basically, like, the reason I bring all of this ridiculous stuff up is because I wanted to ask you how you kind of go about integrating these really interesting mythological and, like, contemporary myth legends into what you write and how you kind of weave that into a love story. Because you have, what, three trilogies plus the Chronicles of Parthalon, right? Yeah, um, well, Copper Girl, the fourth one, is coming out in September. Oh, dang, I didn't know about that. Okay, cool. Yeah, well, it's it's new. I didn't even know either. Well, that happens, um, yeah. Because Co- Copper Girl, and this is not in any way to, like, knock traditional publishing, because yeah. it definitely has its good points. Um, but Copper Girl is, um, because, it's, because it's with a publisher and I'm not in charge of it, like, I send it off and, like, they do their thing. Uh-huh. And mm-hmm. it's kind of nice to have other people working, let me tell you. God, yeah, that is really nice. Let, let, like, the cover just came to me, done. I was like, ooh, how pretty. Yeah. Um, I can't wait to reveal that. Um. But yeah, there's Copper Girl, Gallo Glass, Winter's Queen. Um, the mm-hmm. third one's coming out in March, which mm-hmm. won't be winter anymore. Mm. <laughs> I mean, what's winter in Australia, huh? Yeah, that's true. Winter in yeah. Australia. Um, yeah, and the Chronicles of Parthalon, the fifth one. Well, we're actually relaunching that with new covers. Okay. So the fifth. So the fifth one should be out this year, but honestly, it depends on how long these covers take. Which yeah. I try not to rush. Art. I mean, art takes as long as it takes, in my opinion. Just like writing, it takes as long as it takes. True. Um, but as for like integrating mythological and fantastical things in a modern setting, mm-hmm. in Gallo Glass, it was actually pretty easy because Robert Kirk was a real dude. Yeah. And you, when you start the story, you have Karina, who's a geologist. Mm-hmm. And in, K- Karina's one of those people like, she really wants to believe, like she wants there to be fairies. She wants there to be like all sorts of like gnomes and elves and everything running around the forest. Mm-hmm. And you've got her brother. He's yeah, at, he's he, a little, he, he's had, he a, he's at the he's lowest a row, man. So in Galaglass, like Karina and Chris, mm-hmm. they're so entrenched in the real world. Mm-hmm. And it's a real world that we can kind of relate to because like Chris is coming off like his, the, the end of his relationship and... Karina's struggling through grad school. They are so grounded in reality mm-hmm. that I think it's easier to make the leap into everything that's going on and everything that Robert brings into their lives once yeah. Karina accidentally frees him. Yeah, it's definitely like, it's it's interesting when to, the balancing that, when you're writing the, the kind of stories that you and I write, which is a, a world firmly entrenched with magic and 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 the fantastical, but it's still modern. And these people have modern issues. And they have, you know, modern problems. Yeah. <laughs> you know, cell phones and shit. Basically, what I, what I say on, like, my website, it's like, here's this whole fantastical thing, but they have cell phones. So that should tell you something. Um, you know, it's it's that line of how to have characters that are grounded in the real world but are still firmly in that fantastical world trying to get those to mesh without them being essentially two completely different places um is is kind of an interesting balancing act that every author kind of handles in their own unique way and i find that very interesting what so i read copper girl um, and I, and I was like, I, I didn't realize that it was kind of near future too. Like I, it literally was like, so my flavor until I got to the word drones. And I was like, 
Oh, is there like a little touch? Of, is there a little touch of sci-fi in this? Like, is there a li- is there like a little? Oh, Jen's got my number. Oh my goodness! The drones, the evil drones. Yes, the drones. Well, at first I thought you were talking about the people who were working in her office with her, and I was like, that's really rude. Dang. Well, they, they were rude people. It's true. It's true. Um, but it definitely like I I was wondering how you kind of. Like, how do you go about finding ideas to on how to mesh these? Like, for me, I read a lot of, like, science and, and archaeology stuff, and that kind of usually springs something loose in my brain. But how do you do it? I was watching a show about Egyptian archaeology last night. That's oh, what I was doing go. at 11 p.m. Yeah. <laughs> yes, they, they found a, a random ring with the cartouche of Ramses III on it in an unmarked tomb. And I was like, holy cow. Good start. Good I start. <laughs> <laughs> these are these are the kinds of things I notice. Um, so Copper Girl, I used to work at this insurance company, which was awful. I will not name it because knowing them, they will sue both of us um, mm-hmm. if they are named at the awful insurance company. Um, so their air conditioning was out of control. In the summer, we would show up, and and this is like the exact opening of Copper Girl, too. Yes. Where in the summer, you would show up dressed like in normal clothing that one would wear in a temperate climate. And we were like shivering at our desk, and no one cared. Everyone knew how cold it was. No one cared. So I would go out to my car at lunch and warm up and, you know, stave off frostbite for another Mm -hmm. few hours. Mm -hmm. Where I used to park in the back parking lot, there were two pine trees that grew together in a spiral. Mm-hmm. How does that happen? Yeah. How do two trees spiral together? Yeah. Um, and my first, I've, I've gone to college three times because, again, I'm a glutton for punishment. But my mm-hmm. first degree is in environmental science with a concentration on dendrology, which is trees, shrubs, woody things. Yeah. So I was very aware of how unusual it is. Yeah. So I'm out there in my car one day. Mind you, my brain is half frozen from the air conditioning, and that had a lot to do with this. And as I'm thawing out, I'm thinking, wouldn't it be great if that tree was like a portal to the under to the other world and I could just get the hell out of here? Mm-hmm. And the next day I come out again and I'm parked in front of that tree and I just kept thinking about it. Like, so if it was, what would be on the other side? Like, would would these people in the other world know that I was here? Would they be watching me? Yeah. And again, frostbitten brain. Um, and th- that was how Copper Girl started. Like, what would happen if mm-hmm. I-, I could go through that tree and like go through to the other side? And at the time, I was also um, really into like crafting jewelry and I was making everything with copper mm-hmm. because I decided copper was my favorite metal. Yeah. Um, and we were, me and two of my writer friends were in New Hampshire watching Neil Gaiman speak. It was the 10th anniversary tour of American Gods. Oh yeah. I was a good time. Um, And we were in the bathrooms and they had copper faucets Uh and they were so pretty. And I was like, wow, you know, copper is totally my favorite metal. And my friend Justine said, you should write a book about copper. Yeah. And then and then th- that was like literally what brought it all together for me. Yeah. It's funny how that like these little the separate elements kind of you put them in the pot. Right. And you kind of mm-hmm. jangle the pot and you hope that some of them end up sticking together and then you have something. Um, and they sometimes seem so fully irrelevant. Like, you know, I should write a book about copper. Also, those trees are weird. Like, you know, like that's that's <laughs> how writing works. side of those trees. Yeah. Wouldn't it be weird if those trees were like a thing that I could walk through? That's wild. Um, you know, it's it for me with with the book that I have coming out of the serial, it's the main character is a healer. And I remember very specifically the how like I got the idea was like years and years and years ago. I must have been, I think I was 18 and it was like early one morning I was working a miserable job. I was working a corporate job. My very, very first job was as a receptionist at a travel agency, a corporate travel agency. Fun. Terrible choice. Um, but I, you know, I had to get up at like 4 a.m. to get to this job on time because I had to take the light rail to go in. And so I would put on in the morning to wake myself up, I'd put on like history channel. 
And I think it was around Halloween or something. So they were doing all their, like, paranormal stuff. Um, And I was kind of half, you know, listening as I was making my breakfast one morning. And it was this program about these, like, three psychic children who they're, like, parents all believe they have different psychic gifts. And so these three children are, like, in this house and they're going to be... um, like tested for their various psychic gifts on this show um and which i realize is a really bug nuts premise why anyone would do this to children i don't know but gonna whatever say, it's gonna say it sounds like child abuse yeah it me, doesn't but. sound great at the time i like was like okay whatever you know cool psychic kids whatever um but one of the kids was like um, you know could interpret the future by pictures like drawing pictures and stuff and then one of them did like um, the ghost writing, um, and then another one could heal by laying on hands. Um, and I remember like, like this, this little thing, this little twang of my antenna goes up and I was like, that's really cool. Like, I wish people could do that. That would be really, really cool. Um, and then at some point, I don't know when that kind of evolved to like, I kind of crafted a character around that concept without really thinking about it. I wasn't really writing anything at the time. I was just about to go into art school. Um, and then like one day, all of a sudden, this like character who was a healer sprang fully formed into my brain and just lived there for the next you know, 10 years, essentially. Um, so it is, it's always interesting to, to me to hear how, like, these ideas kind of form from the most random little bits and pieces of our lives. A little, like, oh, a friend just mentioning, like, oh, wouldn't it be cool if you did, you know, X? Or, like, w- look at those weird trees over there. Mm-hmm. You know, it's funny that you say that about your character boinging into your head fully formed. Mine do that, too. Yeah. Like I, I have a series that I'm working on now. It's going to um, launch in June and the character just arrived in my head. Like I knew her middle name. I knew yeah. how old she was. I knew like what she did, who her family was, who her best friend was, that her best friend was a 600 year old witch from Italy. Um, oh, we all wish. <laughs> That's the dream. Yeah. I mean, probably getting into some shenanigans though, huh? Well, she, yeah, she's... um she's a seer and she's the last living member of this very famous line Mm. of seers, but she doesn't want to do that. She's had some bad luck. People in the supernatural community don't really follow laws because you know, they don't have to, they have the magic and all. And she just wants to be left alone to live her life, but it doesn't work out that way. Rarely does in novels, huh? It's funny how that happens. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, the tagline I've got for it now is um, Eli just wants to leave the supernatural life behind, but the problem is it won't let her go. Yeah. Yeah, so, that'll that'll do you. That'll... Yeah. Can't escape destiny, huh? Sucks. No, she really cannot. It's yeah, depressing. As, as long as you get your happy happy ending, it's fine. Everything's Will fine. Will she, though? Will, Will she, she, though? I don't know. Who's to say? Anything can happen. <gasps> I can't wait. It sounds really good. I'm, I'm stoked about it. I mean, I love any... I, I say it on the podcast all the time, but I, I love... I, I don't want to leave our world entirely because there are many, many things I very much enjoy about our world. Like technology, for instance. Toilets. Mm-hmm. You know. Uh, laser central, hair removal. Central heating. Central heating. Uh, sweatshirts. Yes. Jeans. Hot dogs. These things. I like these things. I want to keep these things. But I would like to, like... Sprinkle a little cinnamon on top and add a little bit of extra, you know, just a little yeah. bit, just a little bit of extra. Um, and so I like a little, you know, I like I like a little bit of fantasy. I actually struggle to read high fantasy typically because I'm I'm too far away from from my world. I think I especially because I think for me personally, I get really overwhelmed with being like overloaded with having to learn a bunch of new stuff very quickly. And unless it's done like perfectly for me, I struggle to kind of latch on. Um, but give me some paranormal urban fantasy give me that good good modern flavor with a little bit of like vampire thrown in there some like Mm -hmm. dragon popcorn thrown in there i love it give me all of that um i just also i find it really interesting how 
every writer interprets all of these things in our world in different ways um, because it's all done so uniquely. There's a unique fingerprint, no matter how similar the concept are, no matter like how many people write dragon shifters in our world, everyone's going to do it a little bit differently. Mm -hmm. I love that. Yeah, I totally agree. And the thing with like a second world, like an epic fantasy, that's a tall order Mm -hmm. as a writer and a reader. Mm -hmm. And it's like, um, in like beginning creative writing classes when they're talking about like first person POV, second person, third, mm-hmm. you can write any point of view. And if you do it well, it works. Any point of view will work, mm-hmm. but some are more difficult than others, which is why you hardly ever see like second person POV in a book. Yeah. And it's the thing with the second world. If you're going to build this whole world from scratch, Mm-hmm. and plop the reader right in it. You better do that well and you better do that seamlessly or you're just going to give your reader a headache. And, you know, n- not a good headache, not like crying happy tears because, you know, the yeah. the hero is so swoony and they can't get past themselves. It's going to be like, what in the world? Can't they just say chair? What is a shemigdalin to sit on? I don't I don't want a shemigdalin. I want a chair. We and don't want shemigdalins. We just no want, we want stool. We want like we want couch. Please. Yeah, it's funny. A- my uh so I was sent out arcs recently for my book and one of the pieces of feedback I got was some people who messaged me and were like, Can I just say thank you so much for using normal words for things? <laughs> And I was like, yeah, I speak English. I'm going to use the words I have. I mean, you don't you don't have to be George R.R. R. Martin and change every single word just a little bit yeah. to make it yours. And... Or go after like some medieval Latin or something. Like, I don't, we don't, no, I don't need to do chairs. that. Chairs. It's just chairs. It's just chairs. It's just underwear. It's mm-hmm. fine. Like, that's one of the reasons I think I put my stuff in the modern world is because I'm just like, I just want to be able to say she's wearing a she's wearing a cocktail dress. Can I just mm-hmm. say that? Can I say she's wearing a cocktail dress? Do I have to explain exactly like how like it's got dagged sleeves and it laces up the back and don't worry, she has to wear three petticoats beneath as well as a chemise and pantaloons. Like I don't, I, that's great. I love it. I love reading about that sometimes when I'm into it. But like mostly I just want to be able to say that she's wearing a dress with normal undergarments underneath and call it a day. And and the thing is too, you can say she's wearing a cocktail dress and like I intuitively understand that she's probably also got underwear, shoes, uh-huh. whatnot. Uh-huh. I don't have to she's, explain she, it. All. She's got her associated whatnot. Yes, yes. And the problem is, you know, with with high fantasy and stuff like that, right? Like it's not just that there's all these new things. It's that unless you explain them gently, and delicately and with finesse in with like over time and not like right at the beginning you you there's this very thin line between not explaining enough explaining too much not explaining enough right away explaining too much right away or Mm -hmm. like like or else people get lost or they get overloaded with information can't keep it all in their heads like it's a it's a like you said it's a tall order for readers and writers and i respect the hell out of the people who do it and do it well but it's not it's not my it's not my bag fam you know who does a great job with that Mm -hmm. um and it's not high fantasy it's um well it it, it, outlander we all know what outlander is oh yeah we we all love james alexander malcolm mckinley frazier Mm-hmm. Um, but the way she takes Claire from World War II, and we all know what World War II is. Yeah. Right? It, it's not so far in the past that we can't imagine what life was like in the yeah. 40s. And the way she plops Claire into the past and she's learning about things as we learn about things, it's all very natural. And you learn all sorts of stuff about Highland Scotland that yeah. you don't even realize you're learning. And it's it's seamless. And like, and Claire makes mistakes and we're like, oh, wow, we thought that would have worked. Yeah. Who knew? Well, one thing I really would, what very much surprised me about those books, because I read those books thinking they were romance novels, like off the jump. And I was very surprised to find that, that Outlander is, at least the first book, is like, 300 fucking pages of pure historical fiction. Like, you get almost no romance for most of the first book. It is intensely historical fiction, like, thriller shit. It's great. But, like, you know, one of the... One of the advantages of what is it like a portal fantasy where it's where you you're seeing the story through the eyes of somebody who is not from this world Mm -hmm. is like 
they're not from the world, so they are learning. And because they are learning, the reader is learning with them at a much yeah. more natural, you know. Harry Potter does that, yeah. too. Mm-hmm. You, you learn all about Hogwarts as Harry learns. Yeah. yeah. Which is great because you don't have a big info dump like, oh, wow, it's a castle of magical wizard teachers. And yeah. you've got Harry navigating through his life and you figure it out along with him. Yeah, I think there's a definitely there's a certain amount of you ha- your reader has to be treated like somebody you're teaching, right? And if you yeah. just go into it thinking, "Oh, I can drop all this information at the start." Well, is that how anybody learns? Almost the answer is almost no, right? Like most people cannot just get a giant, you know, essay of completely unknown terms and places and people and remember everything and feel good about being able to recall even half of that knowledge, you know, 600 pages in. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, you need to treat your reader as something of like a a student that you are meeting for the first time and you are going to explain the basics to and then build on those basics as you go through the book. Um, Like Like your graphic design teacher. He couldn't just drop the giant skeletons on you the first day. He had to gain your trust. You had to be willing to look at what he Google image searched. I had to watch him do several dozen push-ups before I was willing to commit to talking about the um, hard one push-ups, the Nephilim, and the the archaeologist who somehow got a barge. All of just archaeologists with an A, by the way, capital A, like the archaeologist, you know, got a barge. King archaeologist, the bones off of off of barge into ocean. Mind you, this barge pilot didn't say anything. He didn't no. think anything was wrong about this like 12 foot long femur. And you that know, was, famously, that, that was regular, regular. All archeologists agree and work together on everything. So, you know, of course no, no one talked, you know, amongst them because they are tight knit group, right? Anyone who thinks archeologists all agree about anything has clearly never spent any time in academia. I I read um <laughs> I read the book Fossil Men this year or this past year. And it's not about archaeology. Well it's about it's about uh not I mean paleoanthropology. Yeah, paleoanthropology. Which is, you know, the most ancient of archaeology, right? Mm-hmm. Um and it was so fascinating for me to read because I thought it was gonna be like this history of just like how hominins had, you know, been discovered and stuff. What it was mm-hmm. was basically a chronicling of the wildest absolutely most bloodthirsty bitterest feuds in this super small community of scientists working on the history of man um and like how they all like all they all work together at some point and then they all end up feuding and hating each other and like doing these great things together and then having a falling out and then saying that the other person was completely wrong in their opinions and like discrediting them in the press and like mm-hmm. the bitterest fight. And I was just like, th- like a couple people get shot. One guy adopts a like a, a wild cat from the savannah. Um, like there's like the history of Ethiopia is in there. It is absolutely bug nuts. But I was it's a perfect like example of how. The people who are doing this science, they are just human beings who are messing up and have opinions and have biases. And in the same way, archaeologists are not all going to agree as a one to hide the existence of many, 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 many thousands of giant bones and get on a ship together and collectively as one use their beautiful little hands to push those bones into the ocean. Wouldn't they have washed up on the shore? At least one. Tides. Right. Tides. Or like more bones would have been discovered, I think, at this point by s- people find, random people find dinosaur or bones like all the shark, time. Or like yeah. a shark would have eaten it. Because like, like, do you zombie. remember that story? Oh, gosh. I don't remember when this happened. But so someone was murdered in Australia, chopped up, thrown into the ocean, and a shark mm-hmm. ate the arm. And then the shark was caught by a fisherman who had, and they found a human arm in the shark. Like, dude. <sighs> yeah. I mean. Sharks I mean, are ever... dirty rat snitches. They, yeah, that's they, they the same. Will rat you sharks, out. sharks be snitches, man. Yeah. Don't you know? Speaking of snitches, hey, do you want to talk about your book you got coming out? Sure. <laughs> um, Poison Garden. Yeah, whichever one you got one coming out in March. Yes. yes. Oh, the one in March that is Winter's Queen trilogy. So Winter's Queen is a follow-up series to Galloglass. Yes. Featuring so got... Chris. Yes. 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 Poor Chris. Poor Chris. The, the English teacher, we... You got to stop sleeping with your students, Chris. 
Bad choice. It was a bad choice. And then in the he second Yellow Glass book, he meets Anya, who was yeah. one of his sister's students. Um, but uh, Anya wasn't really a student. She was just there hanging out because her mother was the Kayakbar, the Queen of Winter in Scotland. Mm-hmm. And in the Winter's Queen trilogy, Anya has become the Queen of Winter. And chaos ensues. So in the third book, <laughs> basically... Elfame, which is the Scottish term for the other world. The second trilogy, Winter's Queen, it follows Anya during her first season as the Queen of Winter. And in the beginning, she's she can't control her powers and she's randomly freezing everything in Scotland in the middle of August, which is awkward. Yeah, it's, it's rough timing. Yeah. yeah. And she, All like, been she, there though, huh? Yeah, and she gets some. There's one instance where she gets mad and she freezes an entire street. And yeah, and and um, her and Chris go out to lunch, and she's still irritated. And there are all these paper lanterns hanging in the restaurant, and she freezes them all. And as the ice melts, they start like because they're paper lanterns, yeah. they start like dropping on the people yeah. eating. And there's all this chaos in the restaurant. And poor Anya, she's she she's got a rough time of it in the beginning, and then. She frees her father, who is the Bodoc, who is a legendary um, Scottish giant, because of course he is. Giants. It all comes full circle. It it all comes back to giants. (gasps) He was right. It's all full circle. And her father, who is a a giant troublemaker, actually, Uh gets in with a an Irish deity called Crom Cruach, who takes over Elfame, murders the Seelie King. So that's what the third book is all about. Um, they've got to defeat Crom, and will they do it? Will they all do right. it? Anya, the Queen of Winter, and Chris, her trusty English teacher boyfriend. <laughs> the, as he's like self-described as the most basic white PhD like holder in the in the world. Who gets a PhD in Shakespeare? I mean, that is true. Basic bitches, that's who. You know what's funny? Um, One of my absolute favorite teachers of all times has a PhD in Shakespeare. And one of the first things she said um, in the class, she's like, well, I have my doctorate in Shakespeare. And she looks at us all and goes, that was not practical. Do better (laughs) than me. Do better. Oh, God, yeah. She was so fantastic. Like, we used to meditate in class and do all these things. Oh, I love that. Things. It, it was a resume writing class. We didn't write a single resume. Uh, it was oh, oh fine. Oh, my God. Yeah, you wrote a spiritual resume is what you did. Y- you know, she would have agreed with that. She would have. I can't remember her name to save my life. I called the, I called the um, college to try to find out who she was because uh-huh. I wanted to thank her in the uh-huh. book. And they were like, we can't tell you prior teacher information. Oh, her? And She's like, been dead for 50 years. Oh, my God. I should put that in the acknowledgments. <laughs> but actually... She was never really there. It was all a dream. I could believe that with her. Yeah. I've had, yeah. I've had a few teachers who I feel like I, I was in a fugue state at least when I was in their in their uh, their classes. Oh, my gosh. My algebra teacher, Mr. Bellhumor, the man who hated children more than anything else in the world. I get it. And why are you teaching high school now? Seriously, seriously, dude. <laughs> career choice, career choices. Yeah, who's the I've, fool here? Yeah, I've had a, I've had a few of those in my lifetime. Um, yeah, I, I, it's definitely, it's, it's very, it's very fun to kind of look back and be like, what, what has like influenced you and the, the, the people who've, who've shaped you as a human being and being like. Should you have been doing that? Should you have been allowed to do that? I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I had a Mr. Hayworth who was my uh, sophomore, no, my freshman English teacher who would just go out to his car in the middle of the day and get absolutely faded. And then he'd come back and he would stand by the, uh, the, the, God, water faucet. The mm-hmm. drinking fountain. He'd stand by the drinking fountain and he would just stand there for a full five minutes and we'd just be waiting in class and kind of see him just like lingering outside at the, at the drinking fountain and he'd just kind of wander in and then he'd fall asleep. And that, and that is why I'm not a good writer is because of Mr. Hayward. You can blame him if you don't like my books. Thank you very much. <laughs> we used to have um, an art teacher named Mr. Duda. 
Because again, oh. you can't make this you can't make this shit up. Woof. And Mr. Duda, um, he used to smoke pot in the back room of the art class. And this is, you know, decades before marijuana was yeah. re- was legalized. Decades. Yeah, that's some king shit right there. But he also did stone sculpting and he would blame the smoke in the air on stone dust. <laughs> It, it smells exactly the same. I know what you're thinking. Listen, I know what you're thinking, guys. And really, it's offensive that you would say that to me. But also, it's just stone dust, guys. I was, mind you, his sculpture is this. First of all, it wasn't even stone that he was sculpting. It was plaster. <laughs> oh, okay, shit, that's good. All, the... So the thing he was working on was like this big. I don't think it was more than eight inches tall and plaster, which last time I checked, you used water. Oh, my God. Water makes plaster. That's so choice. There there was no actual stone back. I mean, come on. It's public school. Yeah. We we don't have blocks of granite for you to chisel away. Oh, God. We just don't have that. That's impeccable. (laughs) Ugh. Well, Mr. I feel like that's a that's a fitting end to this podcast. I too, in making a podcast, I too am fooling everybody into thinking that I'm doing something remarkable when I'm really just pouring water on on a, a tiny plaster sculpture and hoping that somebody calls it pretty and no one notices all the smoke in the air. Uh, <laughs> it's all smoke and mirrors, people. It smoke is smoke and mirrors. It is. Well, I've been very honest about how having a podcast is the most embarrassing thing about me, but don't worry about it. All right. So, this is the end of the episode, which means that we are in the plug zone. So you get to use this space. Do you see this beautiful space we're in? Do you see it? It's stunning. It's gorgeous. It has so much smoke it. in the air. Don't worry about it. It's uh, just stone dust. It's stone dust. It's stone okay, dust. from all the podcast chiseling. Mm-hmm. Um, it's funny because I, today when I was going into my little uh, studio here, I waved goodbye to my dog as I do, and I said, "Okay, bye, Barbara. I'm going to go into the podcast minds now." So it all works out. It all mm-hmm. works out. It all comes around. So now it's your turn to chisel away the podcast or, and I've lost the thread here, but do your thing. So uh, my name is Jennifer Alice Provost and my next release will be Elfame's Queen, book three of the Winter's Queen trilogy. It's out March 17th. After that, Poison Garden, um, book one, Oleander is released on June 14th, wherever books are sold. The day after my birthday. (gasps) Amazing. Oh, I'll have to mail you one. Oh my God. It does look really good. Actually, I went to read that. I was like, I was like, oh, I want to I want to read that one before we do the interview. And then I was like, it doesn't come out yet. God damn it. <laughs> I can send you an arc if you want it. Oh, give me that shit. Give me, give me, give me. I totally will. My sticky, sticky hands on it. Um, yeah. So where can they so where can they find you though? Did you I don't know if you said that. Do you can you find you on Twitters? Can you find you on Instagram? Um on Twitter, I am Parthalon, P-A-R-T-H-A-L-A-N. I'm on Facebook, Instagram. Um, it's all on Facebook. I'm Copper Raven on Instagram. I'm Jennifer A. Provost because why would I have the same name everywhere? That is just too simple. I, I require detectives to track me down. Um, but the it. books are available wide and available everywhere. And I know you're a bookseller and I list everything through Ingram. Oh, awesome. Um, honestly, to make booksellers and librarians lives easier. It's true. It really, really does. Like, I get it. You know, I'm on I'm on both sides of the coin. I do absolutely get it. Um, But it it is nice to be able to be like, oh, I know this person. Um, I love their books. Let me recommend this book to somebody and be like, also, I can get this for you as opposed to sometimes it's like you really like this book but you need to go look it up at home because i actually can't get it for you yeah and that's the thing that i I think a lot of indie authors don't realize i I used to work for a publisher too Mm -hmm. and so i I understand like how books get sold and how they get disseminated out into the public and it's like if there was one thing i could say to all indie authors it's like you need a simple way for a bookseller and a librarian to find you up because those are your best friends in the world the books and podcasters booksellers librarians podcasters it's the triumvirate of awesome you know, it, and and I understand it's also hard because a lot of people are very snooty. And particularly in the genre that we are in, um, you are going to encounter a number of booksellers who are going to be like, yeah, romance, yeah. Just like there are many mm-hmm. people out there who do that who aren't booksellers. However, 
I will, I've said it before, I'll say it again. If you can get a bookseller on your side, we will sell your book at every available opportunity because there is no greater rush than being like, I love this book. You will love this book. Buy this book. And then having that person say, yes, I will buy this book. So like we will sell it for forever Um, because also, honestly, it makes our job so much easier to be able to have a name on tap for when somebody asks for something Mm -hmm. (laughs) as opposed to us like going over the shelves and being like, let me see how fast I can read these spines and see if anything matches what I think this person wants and pretending like I've read the book, which happens on the daily. Exactly. And if you've got that ISBN number, you can say, you "You know what? We don't have it in stock, but it's perfect. Let me order it. Let me get it in two to three business days. I can can ship it for you. Give me your credit card. I'll send it to your house. Yes, you don't I even can have wrap to come it back even. Here. Like, mm-hmm. come on, I can do it for you. And, and that's the thing. Ease of transaction. That is what people want. Yes. Because it does true. not matter how great your book is if no one... Can. And a lot of people are refusing to shop on Amazon now. Mm-hmm. I know it doesn't seem that way, being that Jeff Bezos has all the money. Oh, Daddy Bezos. Um, yeah. yeah. But, I mean, if you're only available on Amazon, then you're just cutting out some of your potential audience. And that's not cool. And I, you know, like I said, I get it. It's hard. And if you're a one person operation and you're just flying Mm -hmm. by the seat of your pants, building the plane while you're flying it, right? Like I understand. I'm never going to shame anybody. I want you to be able to support yourselves. I want you to be able to write. I want you to be able to reach your audience. If you cannot do all of the things all at once, I get it. However, Mm -hmm. there is something to be said for having a safety net that is not just Amazon in case Amazon does some fuckery um, and pulls your (gasps) shit. Amazon? Wait, wait, wait. Amazon? Fuckery? Daddy Bezos? He would never. You're, you, you mean like pulling someone's entire catalog for literally no reason? With no warning and then pulling all pre-orders and keeping all royalties. Um, even, oil, even royalties that aren't yet earned, how, as they how tell strange. you. How strange is that? They would that would never, never happen. Do no. that. They would so, never do that. And it's and it's I've, I literally am having this conversation with multiple authors, right, where we're talking about like a lot of us are opening up Patreons as well. And a lot of mm-hmm. us are doing all this stuff. And if you're wondering why that's happening, listeners, um, it's because of places like Amazon, because there's no competition for ebook platforms essentially realistically there's no real competition right like no one no one has the numbers for ebook reads that amazon does no, because no they're one pretty does. much the only ones doing it bookshop.org i added you several times on twitter and instagram hit me up we can make it work just give me 10 minutes with your board anyway um Basically, because of that, authors who then randomly have all of their work stripped, even the biggest name authors, right, can have this happen to them and have had this happen to them. That means your entire livelihood is gone in an instant and no one answers your emails. So things like Patreon, although they cost more money in the long run, you are not just buying the product the author makes. You are supporting the author to make more for you indefinitely. So it balances out. It's just a different sort. You got to think of it differently than just I want to pay for X. Let me buy X from from See, this person. I would argue that it doesn't really cost more in the long run. No, you're just paying a little bit every month over time and you have access to so much more content than you would get from Amazon or Barnes and Noble or anywhere except for like living inside the author's head. And let's face it, the inside of our head, that's a scary place. No, there's cobwebs. There's like nasty giants. It's it's, it's dark. It's weird. It's there's holes everywhere. Don't even, Mm -hmm. you don't want to be in there. But no. I can make my my Patreon look really pretty for you. And I I get that it is it is hard to get people to go from one place to another. They people are very resistant to that and especially when it involves spending money. But if you're wondering why these things are happening and these conversations are happening and more authors are doing this thing um, and giving you options to support them off of Amazon, that is why. And so I'm not going to shame anybody for doing what they need to do to survive and to make mm-hmm. it work and, you know, get their money and get their bread. I get, I'm not not going to do that. But if you, listener, support your authors, think of ways you can support them as well off of that platform. Because at any moment, at any day, they could simply disappear from there. Um, yep. And that is a threat you should always be cognizant of. And on that delightful, positive note, I will say, support <laughs> me! Uh, you can find my stuff at abigailkkelly at twitter.com. You can also find me at, you know, 
all of the places, um, except for the places that I'm not. So Abigail K. Kelly at Twitter, but I'm Kingdom Thirst everywhere else. Um, I do have an Abigail K. Kelly Instagram. It's locked because that's my old Instagram. Don't worry about it. But I'm not going to give up my username, y'all. So just don't follow me there. But go follow me at Kingdom Thirst. You can also support me on Patreon, patreon.com slash works by Abigail. I have a serial that's starting. I have a novella that's going to be, gosh, what this is coming out, I think... I'm very professional. I know when things are coming out. I definitely don't need to look at my calendar app. Don't worry about it. I'm not doing anything. Hold on. Hold on. Everything's fine. I'm not doing anything. Hold on. Hold on. Okay. So starting the second, so that is next week as the crow flies, uh, the entire prequel novella to Consort's Glory that has been exclusive to Patreon, it's been coming out as a mini serial, will be available for free for the month of February. You can read so All on 2-2-22? Yes, 2 two twenty two <gasps> Special day. That's good luck. Yes. So it's going to be available for you. So you can, if you are not ne- necessarily sold on deciding to be a patron of mine, right? And supporting me when you don't really know what my writing's like. Yada, yada. I get it. Believe me. I do understand. You can read the whole novella for free to get your feet wet, to get a little little nibbling of my wares, um, a little chunk of chicken from my kiosk at the mall, if you will, uh, on a toothpick. If you want to do that, do that. Abigail K. Kelly, patreon.com slash works by Abigail. You got it. Your girl's got shirtless pics of elves on there. I got maps. I got chapters of things. I got more art than you know what to do with. Most of it's thirsty as hell. Um, a lot of it's very neon. Listen, I like colors. Um, and and that's about it. You know, follow the podcast as well. You know, leave a review if you want for the podcast. That's dope, too. That's awesome. Um, and, you know, that's about it. Thank you so much for being on, Jen. It's been a delight. Thank you for having me. All right. Well, I will see y'all and you'll hear me next week. Bye. Kingdom of Thirst is a member of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find all of our episodes and tons of new podcasts to listen to at frolic.media slash podcasts.